Greatest country on earth in shambles. Bill Gates already mapping out the next pandemic. The medical profession by law prevented from telling patients the truth. How do we survive this? Well, we the people stand up and stop taking it. We win at the ballot box. And we do that by getting the truth out into public ears. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your warrior at the gate is Dan Newman. Let me ask you a question. Are you the least bit concerned about the circumstances in your life right now today? Think about that for a moment. What are you facing? What is the big imminent challenge you face in your life today? Well, let me just tell you this. Everybody that's listening to this show right now, everybody around you, all of us are facing imminent challenges that we pretty much don't know how to handle. We've got to walk into our lives with faith and trust and just think everything's going to turn out to be okay. And when that gets to be overwhelming to us, we just really don't know what to do or how to face the challenges that were right in front of us. What do you do? Who do you turn to? That's a great question. Let me just tell you guys this. And we're going to pause just a couple of minutes. We're going to delay because we've got a lot of people logging on from places all around the globe. Want to make sure that they get in on this. I went to a movie last night, Jesus Revolution. And it's probably one of the most important movies I've ever seen. Let me tell you why. It is the historical uh, picture of a massive U.S.-wide revival that happened among the hippie movement principally, back in 1972. Just all of a sudden, hippies that were into drugs and free sex and no law, no structure, just go fly by the seat of your pants. In the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, were finding that all of those things that they thought would free them from the evil corruption that they were seeing handed down to them by their parents, They found God, and they found solutions in that, and they found answers. Why is it such a big deal? We've all heard about the hippies and free love and where LSD came, and we started learning about cocaine and all kinds of other illegal, illicit drugs. Besides all that, a lot of those young people, they grew up real quick, and they learned there aren't any answers in any of those things. They are, there aren't. Though, yeah, there are ways to get deeper and deeper in trouble and get lost in values and get all confused and mixed up. But where they found the reality, their reality, was in a relationship with God. Why is that movie so big? Let me, let me just tell you this. If you've got the word Christian attached to your name in any way, make sure that you go see that. It is, it's not got but one big name star in it, Kelsey Grammer. And by the way, he plays the most impeccable part I've ever seen him play, and I've always liked him as an actor. But it is a exact replica of what happened in 1971 and 72 and 73 across this nation. A little bitty church, 
little bitty church in Costa Mesa, California, is where this revival started, baptizing tens of thousands of young people in the Pacific Ocean and leading them to the understanding that all of the trouble that we face, we're going to talk about a bunch of it here in a few minutes, all of the problems here at your house, at your business, in your extended family, where you work, all of those troubles, there are solutions for them, and they're not of man's making. They're of God's making. My wife is a product of that 1972 revival, Louisiana Tech University, where we went to school. That's where we met. We were both involved in this revival that exploded there. Every week at one meeting, we would have from 300 to 600 like-minded people get together looking for answers, looking for solutions. And we found them, not in stuff, not in wealth, not in great grades, not even in finding a girl or a guy. It wasn't about that. It was about finding the reality of life and hooking into it. Marianne is a product of that revival. My brother, Denny Duran, baptized her in the Louisiana Tech Olympic swimming pool. I'd already been baptized. I'd been serving God for a number of years. But I look at my life today. I'm 69. I'm about to be a septuagenarian <laughs> this summer, which is age 70. And I look back over my shoulder. We have three kids, six amazing grandchildren, a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law. And things have been pretty good. Oh, they haven't been easy. Again, looking back over my shoulder, I established several companies in my life. One of them is 33 years old. My son-in-law, Scott, took over that company four years ago. And it's still soaring to heights that I could have never pushed it to. Started that company in a spare bedroom of our house in 1991. And today, it's serving hospital and other types of medical clients all across the United States. That's just one small example. I expect my grandchildren to be world changers. They all have one common thing, one common trait, besides the genes, the Newman genes. They have an understanding of what a relationship with God is. Where are you in that? Just thought I'd throw that out today. I wept through that movie last night, probably five or six spots. I had to wipe tears away. God is real. You got trouble you can't handle, you don't have answers for? Try asking him, talk to him and ask him to give you some solutions. And once you ask God for something, you need some advice, you need an answer, you need to find out about this or that, ask him, thank him for the upcoming solution. And then listen. Listen. Often we pray, oh God, I need this. Thank you for today. Please protect me tonight when I go to sleep. Protect my children. All those kind of things. And then we turn over and go to sleep. You want answers for something? Ask the question and then wait for the answer. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. 
It changed mine in 1972. Wow. And I guess I could sing this song now. The Eagles version. No more cloudy days. I've got answers from heaven on those days. What about you? Sitting by a foggy window Staring at the pouring rain Falling down like lonely teardrops Memories of love in vain These cloudy days They make you want to cry It breaks your heart when someone for everything every night when you put your head on a pillow I'm just telling you 
This 69-year-old fat American, bald American with an earring, (laughs) I can tell you, I've been down that road. And I found the answers when I was very young, but I walked away from them until later on when I realized there's more to a relationship with God than I ever knew. And I just locked in. It's not difficult. It's pretty simple. All you got to do is ask him, talk to God. That sounds too simple. I know it does, but it's factual. And I wanted to give you that little intro today because what we're about to get into, I got to be honest with you, it's pretty darn spooky. Things out there, I don't know. I look at uh, this weekend, I'm going to spend it with some very close people, very young people, a generation behind me, some of them two generations behind me, that are friends that we've developed, my son and I, through relationships in the knife world of all places. And I'll tell you how this happened. I started collecting knives about, I guess, 1998. And Caleb was young. He was um, a teenager at the time. And we always vacationed down in Gulf Shores, Alabama, Redneck Riviera, where all that white sand is up, Destin and Fort Walton Beach and and uh, then across the state line into Alabama and the Gulf Shores. And one of the cool things Caleb and I did every year is we would go to a knife store that was right there by the condos we stayed in. I mean, literally. And we would go in there, and I always bought a knife or two. And that was one thing, buying a couple of knives. But the best part was looking at all the stuff they had in this store. It was amazing, the variety of knives they had. And, of course, the big thing at the time was switchblades. Oh, my gosh, those automatic knives. Most states, they were illegal. As a matter of fact, they were illegal in Florida, right across the state line. But in Louisiana, they were okay. So once a year, Caleb and I would go and I would buy one or two knives. And we locked in on one brand name that had just got kicked off, Protec. Protec knives. And Protec knives through the years... They have developed and found a niche in the luxury knife market with their automatics. And I've got to be honest with you, some of their knives sell for $20,000, $25,000, custom made out of California. But more important, we met a bunch of really good people. So this weekend, there's a a really big blade show, which is an organization that puts big knife conventions on three or four times a year. This is a big one in Texas. It's actually in Fort Worth. So I am going to be spending time not just with my son and daughter-in-law there in Fort Worth, but we're going to be doing a dinner Thursday night with about 100, maybe 150 of these young people that are in the night business. Most of them have stores or they're selling on online stores, very successful And I think it's cool because when I walk in the room, they accept me. Even though I'm old, even though I'm bald, even though I'm a little pudgy, they accept me because we have one commonality. And that's not my earring. (laughs) It's not. I can't tell you how many people come up to me all the time when they get to know me and say, I would never think that you would have an earring. I got this earring. It's a little loop earring in my left ear. I got it at a street festival in Montreal, Canada 
way back in 2000, riding Harleys up there with a couple of my friends. And it's a, it's a, it's a conversation opening thing. A lot of people look and say, man, or they hear what I do. They hear about this show and they say, you know, we listen to you on the, on the show. We would never think you look like that bald with a, a beard, <laughs> wear glasses and have an earring. Sometimes we judge people by what we think rather than what we know. So that's why I'm going to this knife show this weekend. I probably won't buy a single knife. I will lust over a bunch of knives that are there. I've got a really good collection. And through the years, Caleb and I have grown my collection. He's gotten into it. And I could go on and on about his talents. I won't do that. But it's time to get together with people that we can speak into their lives. That's what this conversation I started this morning is all about. You've got people in your life. They need you. They need your input. They need your wisdom. Some, yep, some of them don't listen. Some of them refuse to listen ever. But you know what? If you give them the truth and give them the best of what you've learned and just leave it right there, even if it's with your own kids. I did that with Caleb. Caleb made some bad choices. Part of the reason he made a bad choice was the way he was raised. He was raised in an environment in public schools in Louisiana where teachers just tried to lump all their students into one big bucket. Everybody's the same. We got to treat them the same. We got to teach them the same. But Caleb started with a little, uh, little problem that he had no control over. He's always been big. And when I say big, today he's 6'9", weighs 340 pounds. When he was a second grader, he wasn't quite there yet but he looked like he was a fourth grader or a fifth grader. So the teacher subconsciously expected more from him because subconsciously they just assumed he was older. And that really messed him up because he didn't know how to deal with that. Emotionally, he wasn't there. Intellectually, he wasn't there. And he was and is brilliant. It wasn't until junior high school we found out he is a legitimate, off-the-charts genius. And then when we look back at all the problems he had in school and some later problems, we can point to those things and say, you know what? We weren't good parents in that regard. We weren't listening. We weren't watching. Look at your life. Forget it for a second about your children or your friends or people you work with. Just look at your life. Look at your circumstances. Look at the choices you've made. All of us have made uh, choices. It's going to happen too as long as you breathe, that every once in a while you make a bad one. And you got to live with the consequences. We have a generation, three behind me, even some, one behind me, and two behind me. We have three generations of people that are going to, in many cases already are, controlling the important parts of your life and mine. So even though we're going to launch into some pretty negative stuff going on today, here's what you need to understand. And let me be honest with you. I did not get this for a lot of years. And if I had gotten it a lot earlier, I would have missed a lot of the issues in my life that were self-made. So I'm 69 and I'm warning you, look at your circumstances, but don't let the circumstances determine who you are. Be 
whoever you are. Don't be what circumstances try to label you as. I've said this many, many times. This is a piece of wisdom that I accidentally spouted years ago, and I've, I've used it over and over and over and over again. Don't let where you find you are today, wherever you are, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, don't let the circumstances of your life determine who you are. Why? Because the circumstances where you stand, that's just one spot, one stopping point on the road to where you're headed with the rest of your life. Doesn't matter what kind of mistakes you've made. You can determine yourself today. Here are the reasons I did those things. I've got those taken care of. I'm going to be more watchful, more attentive going forward. I'm not going to make any bad decisions like that again. And my precious son spent a couple of years in jail for some pretty darn serious white-collar crime. But you know what it did? It was his wake-up call. And that was many years ago. And he's created a life and a family and a profession. He's an executive chef in Dallas. He has 63 employees that work for him. He makes up some of the most amazing recipes for food that aren't written anywhere. He just concocts them. He uses that genius brain. And in addition to that, he and his wife have created a sign line company that has become very instrumental and very successful in its early makings in the knife industry. Go figure. Father-son hobby turns into a money-making business. Hey, not everybody at leadership understands what we've just talked about in the last 20 minutes. Many of them don't. In fact, the gentleman that occupies the White House right now, I can tell you he doesn't have a clue. Before we get into that, let me just give you a little heads up of what's going on. Got our eyes on the banking system. There are more negative things that are coming out today. We're going to give you the details and keep you posted throughout the next two hours about what's going on that will impact you. But we're going to talk about some of the whys. Whys. Not to get all caught up in them, but to find out what's going on, who's making choices, who's making bad choices. And many of those people, they make those choices for us because they're in Congress or they're in the White House. President is one of them. So in the middle of all of this, we've got banks failing, major banks failing. We've got a huge inflation problem. We have an underemployment problem. And much of that is driven, all of those things I just mentioned, are driven by bad economic policies coming out of this White House. Spend, spend, spend. You want to fix this? You want to fix that? Throw money at it. Well, we don't have that money, Mr. President. Oh, I know. We'll just do it in the name of the betterment for Americans, and we'll make the American people pay. We're going to start right right there. This morning, Credit Suisse. That's a big bank in Europe. Its shares crashed as our SFB banking crisis has gone viral. The decline this morning brought shares to an all-time low for Credit Suisse. Concerns about that bank's health and that bank's stability 
have been weighing on their stock for three months, so it didn't just happen. Their most recent sell-off, a sell-off is where stockholders very quickly sell their stocks to get out before what they perceive to be a big dive in the value of stocks in that bank. That sell-off appeared to be triggered by some of the comments made by the chairman of Saudi National Bank. Now get this, Saudi. Saudi National Bank is the biggest shareholder of Credit Suisse. This all happened when asked if the Saudi bank was open to further capital injections. In other words, owners putting in more cash. The answer is absolutely no, for many reasons outside the simplest reason, which is regulatory and statutory. That's from the chairman of the bank. He said increasing his bank's stake in Credit Suisse would bring an unwanted regulatory burden under Swiss, Saudi, and European laws. If we go above 10%, all new rules kick in, whether it be by our regulator or the Swiss regulator or the European banking regulator, he said. We're not inclined to get into a new regulatory regime. He also said there were five or six other reasons, but he didn't specify what those might be. So the bank's so-called bail-in bonds, which get wiped out if the bank faces runs short of risk capital, acting as a backup cushion against any big losses. Those drop sharply, indicating fears of serious financial distress. So the Credit Suisse chairman, Axel Lehman, familiar name, Lehman, banking family, Jewish banking family, Lehman Brothers in New York City, one of the biggest investment banks in the U.S. He said Wednesday that his bank's capital and balance sheet were strong and that the bank didn't need any government assistance. He said we're all hands on deck to deal with the situation. Then Tuesday, yesterday, Chief Executive Ulrich Kerner said the bank was in sound financial position and had a liquidity coverage ratio of about 150%. Well, none of that calmed the fears of their investors. Months ago, Credit Suisse launched a complex turnaround plan that includes spinning off one part of its banking unit, focusing on the bank, on its wealth management business. Here we go. You get people to deposit money with you, and you work to invest their money for them in the name of the bank. Many investors value this wealth management business at higher multiples than investment banking as the former's earnings are seen as more reliable, less operations, less likely to produce some of those unexpected losses. So this wasn't just happening this morning at Credit Suisse in Europe. It's all across Europe. A broad index of major bank shares was off by about 7% when we went live. So what about what's going on in the U.S. today? Oh, nothing big. Dow Jones Industrial Average is down in 27 minutes being open, is down 528 points. The NASDAQ down 143, S&P 500 down 60. And by the way, Apple stock and Google stock, both of those companies, kind of, they're kind of a trendsetter. You watch the way they move up and down the value of their stock per share selling. Apple's down two bucks today. Google down just under a dollar. So, 
nothing extremely critical yet. Even though our future started down this morning about 600, 600 points. It's fragile. I got to be honest with you, it's very fragile. And nobody, nobody knows what the heck is going to happen. And especially, especially with Joe Biden as president of the United States. Folks, this guy has no experience in any type of business. The only place he's ever worked is in politics. Now that should toast you, but then when you have the CEO of the United States of America and you look at his career and behind it, he didn't work anywhere. He didn't even work in any kind of corporation where he could learn a little about business. He got out of school. He lied about his achievements in school for many years. He was busted. In fact, one of his three previous times to run for president, he had to leave his campaign when he was busted for lying about that. One thing after another. But the bottom line is the CEO of your nation, my nation, has no business experience. So what does he do? He's got to listen to other people. He's got to find one or two or three or four that he can trust. How would you know how to trust somebody on one specific big issue like financial stuff if you have no experience whatsoever so that when they tell you, hey, these are the facts, you can judge what they're telling you based upon facts that you know. So remember this, we had this Silicon Valley Bank big blunder over the weekend. And so everybody was looking to D.C. Everybody was looking to Biden. He tried to reassure us all early Monday morning. He got up early Monday morning, and they made it very clear. He got up early Monday morning to talk to us. He said that our banking system is safe and not to worry. Oh, you don't have to worry about Silicon Valley Bank plunging Signature Bank. We shut them both down over the weekend. The FDIC is in there, and they're going to fix it all. Well, the Monday morning markets didn't believe him. Bank stocks took another plunge, some down 60% or more. Maybe it's just because investors don't believe the administration's Sunday interventions are solving the problems. FDIC, which stands for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp., says it couldn't find a private buyer over the weekend for SFB, SVB, excuse me, Silicon Valley Bank. Though a bunch of people's sources say that Treasury and the Federal Reserve favored one of those, one of those shopping people, companies that were interested, FDIC Chairman Martin Grunberg nixed it owing to hostility to bank mergers. Now listen to that. (laughs) You have the FDIC, which is a bureaucratic government entity that's supposed to protect us against things just like this. I told you this yesterday. The FDIC, oh, we insure all deposits. We've got it covered. Well, what they have covered is a maximum of $250,000 per account. It doesn't matter if it's a private account, a private citizen, if it's a bank, if it's a big company, $250,000. So, If the bank fails that you've got your money deposited in, the maximum they're going to be on the hook for is $250,000. 
Well, the FDIC was created to do that. Now, they have a little money that comes in because they charge banks to insure those $250,000 deposits. They charge them an insurance premium. And so some of that is set to the side in case a bank fails. So let's just cut to the chase. What would happen if we have a real depression-like run on the banks where people go to their bank and they just start, they start withdrawing every penny they have? Well, you and I both know your bank has a bunch of deposits from people like you, my bank, people like me, and the deposits at our banks, if the bank goes bust, that doesn't mean the money's there. Banks don't hold on to much money. There are regulations that say they have to hold on to a percentage of what the top-line deposit number is for all the money that is deposited in their bank. But it's nowhere near enough to take care of it if that bank fails. All of these SVB deposits, and I mean all of them, they're from big companies, principally big tech companies, hundreds of millions. In fact, in several cases, billions. So those uninsured portions of those deposits, those are the ones that have everybody in a tizzy. But then there's Joe Biden Monday morning. Hey, everybody, let me just tell you, cool it down. My name is Joe Biden, and I got your back. We have the FDIC. They're going to pay any losses to anybody. He actually said that. I paraphrased it, but he said that. He didn't have a clue what he was talking about. So how much money? This is a matter of public record. How much money does the FDIC have to make sure they have enough to cover these losses? Well, we did the little lookup. They have about $150 billion. And oh, by the way, they have this other account, this entity they created that these banks pay insurance premiums for the FDIC to insure those monies. So they have a whopping additional amount of about a billion. So they've got about $151 billion. So how much are they insuring this morning, Dan? How much is on deposit? Every bank in the nation, add it all up. What's the total liability for the FDIC? $22 trillion. My president, your president, Monday morning, he made it very clear. We are not, the federal government is not going to cover the losses of those depositors at SVB. Oh, we'll cover them up to the $250,000 mark, but that's it. We're not going to reach into our pockets. That's exactly what they did over the weekend. Somebody forgot to tell Joe about it. Monday morning, he didn't even admit it. And it is fact. They, the FDIC, the federal government, they're going to make sure the depositors at SVB and the other bank signature that went down Saturday, they're going to make sure the depositors are taken care of. Why is that? Let me tell you why. I did the deep dive overnight. Those depositors are principally tech companies, big tech companies, little tech companies, startups, 
in Silicon Valley, therefore Silicon Valley Bank. Those companies pay buttloads full of campaign dollars to the Biden administration and to other Democrats. They're obligated. And how do you think Joe Biden got the moniker quid pro quo Joe? Don't you think that over the weekend his cell phone wasn't burning up? People at these companies out there that had $600 million, $800 million, even a billion dollars, 90% of it in many cases is not insured legally by the FDIC. So what did Joe do? He cut a deal. He didn't cut a deal over the weekend. He had already cut the deal. When Democrats are campaigning, when Republicans are campaigning, corruption doesn't have a D or an R after it. It doesn't. There's plenty to go around. Why is that? Because what are they looking for? Money, campaign dollars, a way that they can just destroy their political opponents with campaign ads. And we've got a big election coming up in a year and a half, right? 2024, oh, Joe Biden's going to be running again. We've got to have money in the bank. We've got to be able to make sure that we're still on the front line for all of these people that we answer to. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And it goes around in circles. Will it go round in circles? We may play that song in just a few minutes. So there's the top line about what you can expect. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you this. Who's on the bank board for Silicon Valley Bank, SVB? Who do you think? Several of the board of directors at Silicon Valley Bank have donated thousands of dollars or have direct ties to prominent politicians like oh, Hillary Clinton, former President Barack Obama, Representative Nancy Pelosi. Now, guess what's happening now? We're assured this morning when we, we got the word on Monday, Joe didn't tell us when he talked about what was happening and what they'd committed to do. We found out. So then... Joe sends out some people to say federal investigators are now looking into the role the board may have played in the bank's abrupt collapse as the board members failed to stop its failure. There are 12 board members. Several are under scrutiny for their donations and their connections to Democrat politicians. For example... Director Kate Mitchell, she's a Clinton mega-donor who prayed at a shrine after Clinton's 2016 loss to Donald Trump. She said, quote, I prayed for me and us to get beyond our grieving and shock and to figure out how to engage and listen to what happened and come back together. She, by the way, also donated 50000 to Clinton's Victory Fund. Next on the list of big donors, SVB board members is Garen Staglin. He owns a vineyard less than 15 minutes from the Pelosi family's Napa Valley estate. 
He gave the Biden Victory Fund $10,000 in 2020, sent $54,000 to Clinton Hillary's Victory Fund in 2016. That's on top of $25,000 the previous year. He backed Obama with about forty grand in 2011, gave the DNC committee $10,000 last year. Some board members also donated to political action committees for Democrat Senate leader Chuck Schumer, Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, who sits on the Senate Banking Committee, by the way. Another SVB board member with ties to prominent Democrats, Mary J. Miller. Mary J. Mary Jane's got to be. I don't know that. It just sounds right. Mary Jane Miller. She served as Obama's domestic finance undersecretary at the Treasury Department for two years. There's only one real banker, one, on the Silicon Valley Bank Board. It's Tom King, the board's newest director. King brings with him 35 years of experience in investment banking, having spent years at Citigroup and Barclays. Also reported, Democrat donations were part of SBB's business model. Everybody knew it was the go-to bank for woke CEOs. They knew they were aligned politically. The company's SVB loaned money to every one of them had a woke agenda. It's not a laughing matter. It's not at all. But folks, listen. If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. You know who's going to bail out those two banks and probably any other big banks that are in the process of failing? The American taxpayers... Now, somebody out there when I said that said, oh, no, no, Congress won't let that happen. Congress will step in. They'll stop Biden from doing it. I promise you this, far more money was spread around the existing Republicans and Democrats in both the House of Representatives and the Senate than showed up in the Biden campaign. You put it all together. It's all about quid pro quo, folks. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. And the telephones were ringing off the wall Monday, Tuesday, and even today. These bank folks are on the phone to the people for the quid pro quo part that they were promised when they wrote those campaign checks. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Goppers from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks, fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Howdy. The streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. 
Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. Are you sure we should be out here? It's pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a... Swing! <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. Guardian of the Truth, Knight of the Republic, Speaker of the Facts, Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network. Thank you, Pete. We need a little, you know, Bee Gees kind of swinging song to calm us down. (laughs) Just check during the break there and another Obama sycophant has come forward and telling us that there were bailouts of the depositors of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, and they were done using taxpayer money. And he explained, quote, when the FDIC loses money, FDIC is a government federal agency, it hits the government's debt and the government's balance sheet. That the bailouts of large corporations who had deposits with SVB come in the wake of the Federal Reserve failing to exercise its regulatory power. This guy, he's a former Deputy Secretary of Economics, Klein. The bailouts that happened for Silicon Valley and Signature Bank were really about bailing out large corporations that had built up huge exposures at a bank that was not like your normal Main Street bank. Look, most banks of Silicon Valley size have about a 1,000 branches. Silicon Valley had 16. This was a business bank, not a people bank. Co-host on a show yesterday, John Berman, then asked Klein, why do you keep calling it a bailout? Klein said, so the first thing is, there's a taxpayer money obligation here. The deposit insurance fund that had the FDIC uses, it's true, it's an assessment on banks. It's also true that this is on the government's balance sheet. This is government money. When banks, when the FDIC loses money, it hits the government's debt and the government's balance sheet. In other words, the government owes. And that money that's in those accounts, I I know every politician thinks any money that is sent to D.C. is their money. You get that. It's not. Any money on any balance sheet for any federal agency is our money, mine and yours. And he said, Klein said, you got to be honest with the American people. It's not politically popular 
Nobody's in support of a bailout until they're on a boat that springs a leak. And so all these businesses who had uninsured deposits, and they knew they were uninsured, they're very thankful that the government bailed them out for a bank that was really in a lot of trouble. And this is the same government. The Federal Reserve who regulates this bank was completely asleep at the switch in letting the bank fall and find itself in this position. But you got to be honest, he said. These are taxpayer funds going to uninsured bank depositors, usually large businesses and companies that otherwise might have taken a small loss because they were uninsured creditors. And instead, Uncle Sam, which is you and me, we're going to make them whole. Does that sound fair? Well, let's just look at it another way. Does that sound honest? (laughs) Does it? It doesn't to me. It doesn't to me at all. Wow. Enough of the banking business. It's important, and we again are watching it here today. We get any more as the show goes on. We'll tell you about it. We'll tell you about it. What else is happening? Did you notice the president was in California yesterday? Why would he go to California, especially go to California for what he went for? You know what he was out there for? He was out there to make a big announcement. He is taking on those evil things that nobody should even be able to touch except members of the military and some police. Not the bad police because they need to be fired anyway. We're talking about Joe Biden and his plan to reduce gun violence. He's got a plan to reduce gun violence. First of all, he knows absolutely nothing about guns. He knows nothing about the difference between automatic, semi-automatic, single fire, double barrel. He doesn't know anything about it. But he's out there with the clout of the pen and the White House behind him, announcing a new executive order. And this executive order, it took him days, maybe even weeks and months to write it because it's full of things that are going to protect Americans from all these evil gun violence acts that happen every day on the streets of America. As usual... (laughs) Biden's remarks there in California had at best um, a mild little connection, if that, to truth and reality. He pledged that this latest executive order that deals with firearms, it's going to accelerate and intensify, his words, accelerate and intensify his administration's supposed crackdown on illegal firearms. He said his order would keep firearms out of the hands of criminals by taking every lawful action possible to move us as close as we can to universal background checks. That's Joe Biden's panacea. You know all these killings that happen every weekend in Chicago and New York City and Los Angeles and San Francisco. He's going to stop them all. What's he going to use to do it? Well, he calls it, listen carefully, these are his three words. Here's what the fix is. Just common 
since. Oh my gosh, when I said that, did you get breathless thinking about, oh, all these evil things that are happening at the hands of these criminals that get these guns? All we got to do is use just common sense to fix them. He didn't explain how his executive order would keep guns out of the hands of criminals who, by the way, don't follow gun laws. Also absent from his executive order and his remarks yesterday was any action to secure the U.S.-Mexico border and stop those capitalizing on the open border to traffic what? Guns? Criminals don't buy guns through the legal process. I've said it a thousand times at TNN Live. Nobody in Washington will tell the president, uh, Mr. President, did you know that the ones that are shooting and killing everybody, they don't get their guns from Dick's Sporting Goods or Bubba's Gun Shop? They buy them from people who stole them. How many, let me just ask you a question, and you can guess in your mind. How many guns do you think come across the southern border in between those points of entry where nobody can get in with a gun? You know that. They stop them there. (laughs) We don't have any idea how many guns are in this country. And President Biden thinks by stiffening up this so-called plan (laughs) to do away with these illegal guns... (laughs) I own a bunch of guns, bought every one of them legally. Well, except one. It was, I inherited from my father-in-law. But he bought it legally. There's somewhere in a database in Washington, D.C., where my name's out there, that evil Dan Newman. We know him. We know what kind of guy he is. He's one of those radical, skinhead Southerners. He's got a beard and an earring, so he's a crazy MAGA sycophant, isn't he? Back to Joe. He continued to emphasize portions of this order that are aimed at expanding public awareness campaigns about red flag laws that Biden said would instruct Americans on how they can flag people they encounter as a danger to themselves or others. I got to stop right there. Do you know how red flag laws have carried themselves out in the public use over the years? Yeah, there are a few places that have put in these red flag laws, but most of them have taken them back when they're actually used. They're supposed to say, if you know this, you know, my next door neighbor, they're out there all the time in their backyard pinging cans with 22 rifles. And I know they've got a bunch of other guns. And my kids, we're all afraid of them. And so they go to the local sheriff's office and they call on the red flag law in their city or their county or parish, and they tell the sheriff, these people, they're doing some really bad stuff. We're watching them just shoot randomly all over their backyards. My kids are running into the house. We're scared to go outside. We have no idea what else they have in there, but we've seen dozens of these long rifles. So what happens exercising the red flag laws, the sheriff's got to go out there and they're required to make 
full investigations on any complaints under the red flag laws. And it's happened. What I'm about to tell you has happened numerous times in the nation. If you think that somebody has a house full of guns, you're not going to just go up to the front door and knock on the front door or ring the doorbell and say, well, sir, hi, here's my ID. We've got reports that you've got a bunch of guns in your house. If you think there's any credibility that they have a bunch in your house, a bunch of guns, the last thing you're going to do is go up on that porch and ring the doorbell. You're going to wait till they're asleep and you'll just come. And if you've got credible thoughts that they actually do have a bunch of guns, you want to do a no-knock kind of thing, which is bust the front door down and storm in and catch them while they're sleeping and get rid of these evil guns and hold the perpetrators hostage. It's happened again and again. Mainstream media won't cover these incidents. But there have been people that have died because they wake up and they know where their guns are that they keep for personal protection. And some of them like to do target shooting. I happen to be one of those. I love to go to the range. And sometimes I'll go out with friends on property and we'll walk across and we'll see something and we'll say, I bet you five bucks you can't hit that. Those kind of things. But principally, Americans own guns for self-protection because who can you trust otherwise? So what happens if somebody breaks down my front door? The first thing I'm going to do, almost every place in my house, there's a gun. It's not out in the open but it's close, within 15 feet of every place I go. Am I a little paranoid about it? No, I just know this is the United States of America and our law enforcement, pretty much from top to bottom, aren't getting the job done for many reasons. That's a story for another day. I'm going to go find my gun and I'm going to pull it up. They bust in at the middle of the night. They're going to come with lights on, shining it in my face. I'm probably going to start shooting because I'm scared for my life, legally afraid for my life. That's happened again and again. Biden doesn't have a clue about, quote, he's going to expand public awareness campaigns about red flag laws. On top of that, his order directs the Federal Trade Commission to investigate and report on, quote, how gun manufacturers market their guns to minors and how much manufacturers market firearms to all civilians, including through the use of military imagery. Now, what that is trying to do is create a faux, a fake regulation or law that he has no authority to do. How gun manufacturers market firearms to minors. Well, first of all, they don't, and even if they do, Guns can't be sold to just anybody legally. They have to go by the laws, the federal laws, and the state laws about who and how they can sell firearms. Now, there are minors that get guns all the time. Where are they getting them? The same place the gun runners, the gangbangers get them. You can buy a twenty-two rifle for basically $50, dollars $80, and you can do it illegally if you want to. Well, why don't these politicians, why don't they stop the illegal guns from being sold? 
great question. Let's start here. Let's start in Chicago. How many gun shootings happen in Chicago every weekend? How many Chicagoans die because they're shot with guns? How many of those guns that they're killed with? And when I say a bunch, hundreds every year, hundreds of shootings and killings with guns in Chicago every month. What's the split? The guns that are used in these attacks. How many of them were purchased legally at Dick's Sporting Goods or Bubba's Gun Shop? Chicago has one of the most stringent requirement processes to buy guns legally across the city. We don't know the number. You know why? They don't want us to know what the number is. I would guess and say, based upon things that in other places we have found out, 70 to 90% of the shootings are happening with guns that are in the hands of people that shoot them illegally. So Biden, as usual in California, he leaned into the lies that he trots out whenever he makes remarks about guns. First, he claimed that gun manufacturers are the only outfit you can't sue these days. Well, this wasn't the first time for the president to tell that bomber. We've checked him for it before. He said the same thing April 11th last year. Our friend Stephen Gutowski explained at the reload that it was a false claim. Here's what he said to the president. Remington, one of the biggest firearms manufacturers in the world, an American company, Remington settled a lawsuit over an alleged design flaw with the trigger on its popular Model 700 rifle. Sig Sauer has been sued multiple times over an alleged safety defect with its P320 handgun. I own one. The Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which Biden hopes to repeal, provides immunity to the industry over lawsuits stemming from the criminal misuse of guns by third parties. Even the limited immunity granted to the gun industry is not unique. Numerous other industries benefit from protection against lawsuits that do not implicate willful misconduct on the part of the company. Pharmaceutical companies developing COVID vaccines to this day, every one of them has immunity that's given to them. They can't be sued. If your kid takes a COVID-19 vaccination and dies in the doctor's office from an adverse reaction while you're sitting there, you can't sue the doctor. You can't sue Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson & Johnson, whichever one of them gave that doctor the vaccine to give to your kid. Why? They're in emergency use authorization only. Have you ever wondered why you haven't heard anybody say the COVID-19 vaccines are fully approved by the FDA? Because by law, if they are fully approved by the FDA, then the manufacturers are totally liable So if you have an adverse reaction, your kid dies, like I said there, you have to sue the government. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Biden's other lies. He talked about the assault weapons ban. He says he championed while he was in the Senate. 
He said his latest executive order does not absolve Congress from the responsibility of acting to pursue the policies that he wants, namely passing another ban on what he calls assault weapons that aren't assault weapons at all and high-capacity magazines. The walk down memory lane about his leading the fight to ban those assault weapons brought Biden to his next lie, claiming that for 10 years that law was in place, mass shootings went down. A lie. A 2004 Department of Justice-funded study from the University of Pennsylvania concluded the ban cannot be credited with any decrease in violence carried out with firearms any place in the country. His latest plan, this new one, is largely an exercise in virtue signaling and will mostly impact law-abiding gun owners while having little or no violent outlaws impact. Does he really believe criminals are going through proper channels to buy their illegal firearms? Heck no. Red flag laws, they fail where they already exist. Even NPR reported how Colorado's red flag law didn't stop the Colorado Springs shooting at Club Q. What's more, Biden's declared commitment to cracking down on gun violence is fundamentally unserious given his silence about all those Democrat prosecutors in these big cities, that they're just, they're pulling down all the laws that these lawmaking bodies in states and cities have on the books. They're just saying, I'm not going to prosecute those that do this or do that. If he was serious about cracking down on violence, it's just like if he was serious about protecting us, the people of Texas, the people of New Mexico, Arizona, and California, from illegal criminal actions that have taken the lives of hundreds of Americans and impacted in numerous numbers of ways just because he doesn't enforce the federal immigration laws? Do you think Do you think <laughs> if he puts new laws in that that's going to fix it? He thinks it. I don't. And I don't think any living, breathing, credibly thinking American thinks that they will. Some places have tried it already. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Real truth. Real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Summer seems even brighter when you've been inside a while. It's time to drive again with Honda, KVB.com's 2020 Best Value Brand. You could get a great deal on the 2020 Passport or 2020 Pilot, with financing as low as 0.9% APR on select models. Visit the Honda Summer Clearance Event today. For well-qualified buyers, see dealer for financing details based on 2020 brand immatures from Kelly Blue Book. Visit KBB.com for more information. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. 
Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Again, Dan Newman. Fake news. Oh my gosh, Pete, you don't think there's fake news out there. We ferreted that out way, way, way back when Bush 43 was in office. You remember that? CNN just, they took to the podium and they just, they sent all of the lies from any administration to hell. They can't get away with any of it because people like CNN, ooh, they're out there making sure everybody complies. Yeah, everybody complies. We're going to do everything legally if we do anything at all. So what about the illegal actions by this administration, specifically the president himself and several people in um, his family, by the way? Well, guess what? They've tried ever since that Hunter Biden laptop appeared. They've tried to diminish everything that comes out that's negative about the Biden family. Any of their improprieties and finances. I I can tell you this. Hunter Biden, I know Joe loves him. He's a son. I get that. But he is the scourge on that family because they're in Dutch in bigger ways than we even know today, and we know more today than we did yesterday and last week. Why? Because of Hunter Biden. They're now in Congress. There's an investigation going on. That's not new. They go on all the time. But this one is turning up with some very credible credible evidence that there really was wrongdoing going on And it has in part due to a lot of money coming to the Biden family syndicate. That's my term. And a bunch of it comes from China. Details? All right. Meanwhile, the Republican-led House Oversight Committee expanding its investigation into Hunter Biden. Newly subpoenaed financial records, stacks of documents dating back 14 years are now under review. The chairman of the House Oversight Committee, James Comer out of Kentucky, is with me now. And, sir, good morning to you. Thank you for your time and for being here today. I want to try and clear up a few matters. You were on with Sean last night, okay? So you have received mm-hmm. through Bank of America thousands of these records that go back 14 years. Uh, one of them includes yeah, had- an associate by the name of Rob Walker. And you said last night that two months after Joe Biden left the office of the vice president, so that's January, February, what, March of 2017, I'm guessing. Yes. Around that time, yes. he received a $3 million wire from two people directly associated with the CCP in Beijing. What is that all about, sir? You made the claim. What did you discover? Well, we discovered that they got a $3 million wire uh, two months after Joe Biden left office. And then the very next day, 
that from that account, that Walker account that appears to be a pass-through account, then they started wiring money to Biden family members, plural. And there were three different Biden family members that received a cut from that $3 million, including a new Biden family member that's never before been included in any of these investigations. So our question is, you know, what exactly did they do to receive that money? What was the purpose of that $3 million wire? Now, that's just the first wire that we've actually been able to obtain bank records on. There are many, many more. Okay, you, you put your finger on it there a second there. Okay, you said, what were they doing in return for that money? Do you have an answer? I do not. But, you know, the, the media says, well, this is a Hunter Biden investigation. This is an investigation of Joe Biden. And we're investigating the Biden family. And, and again, after this new batch of information, it, it expands. There are more family members involved in this than just the president's son. And what they've said in the media, oh, this was for, for business. We can't identify any business. It, it appears it went into their personal accounts. So if China's investing with the Bidens in a business, we can't find any business. They don't manufacture anything. They don't sell anything. They don't own any real estate. We don't know what the business is. You know, my theory is it's influence peddling. And if so, then that, that's wrong. That's what we call a foreign agent. Uh, there are rules with who could be foreign agents, and you have to be registered to be foreign agent. So, you know, the question is, what were the Bidens doing to receive the, these massive amounts of money from China? Now, we have the first wire, and we've traced it from China to the Biden family members. We have many more uh, to okay. obtain. Okay, so two more points here in the time we have left. You said another name popped up. Whose name is that? Are they a relative directly tied to the family? Well, they're a Biden. Uh, I'm not going to disclose that new name because that uh, really changes things. Because uh, what we assumed was this was just about the president's son and two brothers. But now there's a new name that's emerged. So and, and they are a Biden. So we've got a problem here uh, with respect to trying to determine what exactly this family was doing. Uh, to to okay. receive these okay. transactions from China. Th this is important. And I think every American yeah. should be concerned about that. Yeah, this I, I is an it. issue of national security. Yeah, Let, let's see where it goes, okay? It's been five years, and yeah. what do we have for it? Five years, long time to be investigating. Apparently, you have found suspicious activity reports, and you've been assured by the bank that they're going to give you that information. So what that reveals, I do not know. Uh, the ranking member on your committee, Jamie Raskin, says this. I fear this wildly overbroad subpoena suggests that your interest in this investigation is not in pursuing to find facts or informing public legislation, but conducting a dragnet of political opposition research on behalf of former President Trump, meaning you're doing the work for President Trump potentially as a candidate. What would you say to your fellow congressman, Jamie Raskin? I'm very disappointed that Raskin would issue that letter. He issued it late Sunday night. Uh, obviously, he was working in conjunction with the White House. This is the second time the White House has pulled a prank uh, after 10 o'clock at night so they can have the first story in the morning. I haven't spoken to Donald Trump since he left office. I don't even know who Donald Trump's attorneys are. In that letter, he accused me of working with Donald Trump's attorneys. That is not true. And Jamie, you're asking, owes me an apology. But really, at the end of the day, the purpose of that letter was to leak to the press that I had subpoenaed Bank of America two weeks ago. That was the purpose of the letter. And he just threw in, 
you know, a bunch of other okay. false accusations. Okay. It's very disappointing that Jamie Raskin would stoop to that level. And and that's one reason why we don't take the, the ranking member seriously uh, in our quest to get to the wow. truth of what exactly the Biden family was doing with our adversaries in China. Okay, we will see where the next chapter leads. James Comer, thank you for your time. It's... Um it's rather incendiary, and we'll see whether or not you're onto something. Again, five uh, years investigating, nothing just yet. James Comer, thank you for your time today. Five years investigating? Where are you getting that? Five years investigating? Who's been investigating for five years? Who's been in power in Congress that would have investigated? Nancy Pelosi. You don't think for one second that Nancy Pelosi was going to open any doors to investigate any Democrat, let alone Joe Biden. That point that was made by the host there, made it twice, that's shallow to me. It almost sounds political. It almost sounds like, hey, 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 they haven't found anything. They've been investigating for five years. Who has? The Christopher Ray FBI? We know where they are. They're in the tank. They've gone woke. They're not investigating anybody that has any like-minded background. In other words, a Democrat. And what about the American people? What about you and me? Where do we stand in all of this? It doesn't take a brain surgeon to get in your car and find and drive around within the zip codes where the Joe Biden multi-million dollar properties sit to figure out there's some splaining that needs to be done because you don't buy three multi-million dollar houses. You don't do the things that Joe Biden has been able to do on a personal level unless you are plugged into some multi-million dollar corporation or if you're a politician and you got your hand out. And there are people out there filling your hand with dollars and opportunities. Maybe, oh, we're going to keep our hands clean here. And, you know, Biden's, uh, Hunter's gotten a lot of trouble, so we're going to have to move down the pecking order and do it in another way. Here's the thing that just makes me understand and believe totally. Joe Biden is done. He's lost he lost his way even when he was a vice president of the United States. He was on his way down. You know why? He didn't have a good background. He was dishonest, very dishonest. He got busted, kicked out of a couple of previous campaigns for the presidency because he lied, because he stole speeches from other people thinking he was so dumb that he thought nobody would ever be able to go back and verify who those speeches were they came from. People did that. And sure enough, he was plagiarizing. He lied about his college stuff, his pre-law college stuff. He lied about his achievements in law school. All of a sudden, he'd become Honest Joe. Come on now, Ben Dominich. I like Ben a lot. You see him every once in a while on Fox News. He's got a real deep voice. He is, uh, I think he's an editor of The Spectator. Uh, Spectator. He's somewhere in that pecking order. But he weighed in 
on what's going on with Biden's credibility. Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor, editor-at-large for The Spectator. Ben, great to see you today. First of all, how do you sit in the White House and not answer questions about sketchy business dealings with any of your family members and China? Well, I think that the Biden family has frankly gotten away uh, with this for such a long time that they feel like they can get away with it again. And I think that they're wrong. You know, look, it's ludicrous to listen to uh, someone like Jamie Raskin, you know, saying that this is too uh, broad of a net when obviously they wanted to look under every different rock and pebble uh, to try to find something to pin on Donald Trump during his tenure in the White House and stretching back decades earlier in terms of his financial activity. In this case, we have a very clear, uh, you know, I think, a, a, a perspective from the James Comer and other uh, Republicans who are on this committee uh, who want to have a good perspective on what was being sold. Essentially, you know, was Hunter Biden engaged in a type of influence peddling racket uh, that would ultimately compromise, uh, you know, his father potentially, other members of his family uh, in pursuit of foreign dollars uh, coming from America's adversaries? It's an absolutely legitimate question. It's an absolutely legitimate thing to ask for. And I think that when it comes to Comer staff and others on the committee, they're going to pour over what they get uh, in terms of a response from Bank of America. And we're going to find out, I think, more about the degree to which the Biden family has potentially been compromised by their relationships with a lot of untoward uh, foreign partners overseas. You raise that very legitimate and central question about whether or not our president is in a position of harm's way to capitulate to anybody that you might have made a business dealing with as a family member of his, i.e. China or Ukraine, anyone. Much more to talk about. We got, we're not through. We're not even close to being done, folks. There's so much out there. It's just so difficult to find just the stuff, the most important stuff to fill up two hours with you every day. And I mean, we're almost into our final 30 minutes of the show. I've got so much more to bring to you. Stuart Varney, he's got a little word for us. And then we're going to look also at what might happen in the 2024 election for those two top jobs, president and vice president. Oh my gosh, we've really got a couple of incumbents for those positions that uh, it's going to be hard for the American people to justify getting behind Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. That s'more got our eyes on the banking stuff. In fact, I'll give you the latest right after this. Don't miss our iHeartRadio at-home session with Jesse McCartney. Presented by Hellman's, an exclusive and intimate performance. At a time when we're craving live music. Watch Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on iHeartRadio's YouTube. Missing that restaurant flavor at home this summer? Hellman's is bringing crave-worthy flavors to you. Serving up new drizzle sauces that you can put on pretty much anything. With flavors like cilantro lime, roasted garlic, and creamy chili honey, you can drizzle, dip, and dress to make home the best restaurant around. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new 
double crispy cheesy burger. The flame fresh taste. Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Get the new double crispy cheesy burger with double the flame fresh taste. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. During the break, I took a look at uh, the latest business news from Wall Street. In the stock market results so far, long way to go yet in the day. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 600 points even before the opening. It's bounced back a little bit, down 510 points. NASDAQ down 120 points. S&P 500, 58 points. A couple of stocks to look at. Apple stock is down $1.83. Google is down $0.44, cents, so not much movement there. Overseas, we kind of like to watch what's happening in China. The Hang Seng Index, it's up today, almost 300 points. And the Nikkei 225 in Japan is up too. Now, why would that be happening? China and Japan. I don't have the answer. I'm asking you. <laughs> Why do you think that would be happening? Normally, when they're banking stuff that goes down or up around the world, it's pretty universal, at least the the patterns are. But up in China, and not just up a little bit, up uh, significantly. Oh, well. Maybe somebody in the Biden administration will come out and fill us in. Wow, that would be a surprise, wouldn't it? Do you know who Stuart Varney is? He's a guy on uh, Fox Business. He's from England. He immigrated here a long, long time ago. He's still got a good accent. Uh, he's a great American. He is a citizen, and he's proud to be a citizen. He watches a lot of the business things that happen and reports at Fox Business. But Stuart's also somebody that's been around a long time. He watches everything, especially anything and everything that has to do with our economy and Fox business. But every once in a while, he becomes a bard, a soothsayer, a uh, expert, somebody that we look to for little tidbits. He did that yesterday about Joe Biden. Well, I've lived in America for 50 years. Rarely has the news been so ominous as it is now. Look, I go all the way back to the Iran hostage crisis, then the crash of 89, then 9-11, then the Iraq war. Now we're hit with several crises all at once. When it all piles up, your anxiety level goes straight up. The banking crisis burst out, burst out in public on Friday. The ripple effects are still with us. People all over the country are worried about their money. The financial world, very unsettling. 
we've seen the most rapid rise in inflation in decades. Your buying power is suddenly falling. Interest rates have gone straight up too. Borrowing money for a house, a car, or just on your credit cards, that's quickly become very expensive, unaffordable for many. And then there's crime. Day after day, you turn on the news and you see horrific scenes like this. That attack was a month ago. The woman still can't walk. I don't think the elites have the slightest idea of the danger faced by everyday people every day. We're all looking nervously over our shoulder. There's a war in Ukraine. We're part of it. There's a confrontation with China. We're the ones being pushed around. There's an invasion at the border. Literally millions of illegals are flooding into every state and we're paying for it. And are there any parents in America uh, not worried about their children and fentanyl? Look, the list goes on and on and it's all happening now. What we desperately need is vigorous, dynamic leadership. We don't have it. The president isn't out front. He's not leading. He's reacting. He is 80 years old and shows it. To me, America has always been a positive place, a place where great things were possible and likely. Now, not so much. Not so much. That's a key phrase that Stu Varney had to say there. He's been in America for 50-plus years. He can be a little more objective than some of us can. Why? Because he had a background of living in another country with a socialist government operating that country, which, by the way, is the panacea that many on the far left want to take our nation to, a socialist nation where the government owns and operates everything. And you just have to sit down and shut up. You can't raise your opinion to any government entity that gives a rip. They're not going to listen to you. Wow. Capitalism is the panacea that has in the past, is now, and will fix the world of its problems, socially and economically. Period. That's a fact. You know, something we didn't even talk about at the top of the show. We talked about the SV bank and signature bank failures and what it means, but what we didn't do is we didn't talk the specifics about what it means down line for you and me, depositors. I'm talking about mom, mom and pops. I got a few bucks in the bank, but not a whole lot of money. I think that applies to most Americans. So what does SV Bank's failure and what our federal government is committed to do? What does it mean for you and I? Normally, when an FDIC-insured bank or financial institution fails, the FDIC moves quickly to compensate savers and they do it by reimbursing their insured deposit it's in each of their accounts up to the coverage limit of $250,000 per depositor for each account category. Now, generally, what that means is that anything over $250,000 per depositor per account type, that's the uninsured portion, is subject to just be flushed down the toilet. Losses. In practice, though, the FDIC is often able to recover some of the uninsured money, and they do that by selling the residual assets of the failed bank and giving more money back to depositors. But here's the problem. In the case of SVB and Signature Banks, the FDIC is acting under a special systemic risk exception, they call it. And that's to waive the normal $250,000 coverage cap give depositors full access to all their money, 
even what normally would be the uninsured portion. What does this mean? Depositors of SBB and Signature are going to be made whole, although the shareholders, the people that invested in the bank, are going to get wiped out. Their creditors stand to lose all their money. Depositors of other banks and financial institutions continue to be subject to the FDIC's usual coverage limit, and so should be mindful that uninsured portions of your deposit, my deposit above the $250,000 cap, could be erased if those institutions fail. The FDIC said that whatever losses it incurs by covering the uninsured portions of SVB and Signature Bank deposits will be made up by special assessments or insurance premiums that are levied on banks. William Luther, hadn't heard the name before today, he's director of the Sound Money Project at the American Institute of Economic Research. He said in an email that banks tend to pass along higher fees for consumers. Go figure. It's just like putting those taxes on those evil wealthy Americans. Oh, we're going to go get them. We're going to get these evil corporations and evil multi-billionaires. Corporations don't pay taxes. They don't pay levies. Banks don't either. They both pass those costs on to you and me, the people that use their services. Luther suggested that any extraordinary premiums or assessments that the FDIC opposes on any other bank, and that would be in relation to the SVB and Signature Bank collapses, would eventually find their way down to customers of those banks and so have some impact on their wallets in the form of higher fees. So I'm sure you've, this week, maybe last Thursday, Friday, you started asking questions. Is my bank safe? So bank stocks have taken a big beating. We've watched them for you all week long. Experts say that the spillover or implications for other banks are likely to be limited, if at all. This is a classic asset liability mismatch triggered by higher rates and compounded by leverage. That's according to Jurian Timmer, Director of Global Macro at Fidelity. So as a Federal Reserve who could have stopped all of this and prevented it from the beginning, they never step in until it's too late. As they have raised rates to try to stop the soaring inflation, Bond values have gone down. Banks like SVB have taken losses on their bond assets. The good news is that this seems to be one incident, isolated at least so far, or at least a problem that may be limited to some smaller banks. Timmer said, this does not appear to be a situation that could become systemic like the subprime mortgage collapse did in 2007. And while the chairman of the FDIC, Martin Grunberg, he said recently U.S. banks are sitting on unrealized losses on their bond holdings of about $620 billion, he added that banks in the country are generally in a strong financial condition and have not been forced to realize losses 
by selling depreciated securities. So what does all this mean? They're telling us, just like they told us over the weekend, like the president told us, this SVB bank situation, it's not going to cost Americans anything. It's not going to. The government's not going to step in and fix it. How many cell phone calls do you think he got after he said that? (laughs) Who had all this money in those banks? Big tech, or not necessarily big tech, but there are a bunch of big tech companies, Silicon Valley companies, that invest their money. They put it in deposits at the Silicon Valley Bank. Duh! Who are those people? Well, here's what I want. In fact, I'm going to demand it. I've already got a call in for my congressman, Mike Johnson. I want to know who the depositors are at SVP that have a dollar above $250,000 loss due to the failure of SV Bank. I want to know who they are. And if I get the names of the companies, I can go find who the stockholders and the officers of those companies are. And I guarantee you, they're Democrat donors, most of them. Not everybody in Silicon Valley is a Democrat, but most of the people that have a lot of money in Silicon Valley are Democrats. I want to find out who, and then I'm going to lay those over the list of donors to the campaign of Joe Biden. You think there may be some quid pro quo going on? So here's another topic. I've been asked by a couple of people, what does all this mean to 401ks, those tax-friendly retirement funds? So the failure of those two banks have sparked a stock route, major U.S. banks losing about $90 billion in market value just on Monday. It's back a little bit, but it's still down. Hardest hit, regional banks. First Republic was down 62%. Western Alliance down 47% at close of the day on Monday. Stocks rebounded yesterday. Investors got optimistic again that any spillover from this SVB and Signature bank failures had been contained. Shares of First Republic Bank popped up nearly 50% in morning trading yesterday. Western Alliance up 43%. Likewise, a lot of the other banking stuff, regional stuff, was up over 6 to 12%. Considering how much they've gotten destroyed, they're due for a bounce back. Peter Bookvar, chief investment officer at Bleakley Financial, said the challenge for banks is more of what the profit outlook is rather than their viability. So everybody's saying, I don't want to say everybody because not everybody is saying things are going to be okay. Most of the experts, so-called experts so far, have come out and saying that. So I want to segue. We've got about 20 minutes left in the show. I want to segue over to 2024. I'm just going to get you to start thinking ahead. We know who the likely people are, at least so far, who the people are that are going to be in the run for the Republican nomination. you got former 
South Carolina governor, have her in. Young man that's got an Indian name. He's he's a really go-getter, a very successful entrepreneur. I can't even say his name. He's in. Of course, Donald Trump, he threw his hat back in the end very early on. Everybody thinks Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, is going to run. Who else is out there? And question is, question is, what's going to happen on the Democrat side? Hmm. What's going to happen? Who's going to run? Is Joe going to run? He hadn't thrown his hat in the ring yet. And if he runs, will he ask Vice President Kamala Harris to run on the ticket with him again? There's a lot of decisions to make there. But the big one is this. The big one is this. There aren't a lot of people that are standing in line on the Democrat side to even consider running with the Biden if Biden runs for re-election, and let's just assume he's going to. But who's going to run with him? And what role, if and will Kamala Harris play if he runs with her on his ticket? Isn't Kamala Harris one of the best public speakers in the world? And that laugh, so genuine. (laughs) (laughs) When they had to bring the kids... (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are plenty of people who say that she's a drag on the ticket and could be one of the reasons why Joe Biden may not get re-elected in 2024. You know, that and all of the things that the administration has done, including, remember it was her responsibility to take care of the southern border, and now way more than a million people have crossed it since Biden and Harris took over from the man who wanted to build a wall and stop people illegally entering the country. You know, the bad guy. So the rallying cry is starting to go out to get behind Kamala Harris. This was a so-called former Republican who clearly is now just a Democrat on The View. I don't know what the hell is wrong with Democrats. Listen, here's the bottom line, guys. Joe Biden's going to be your nominee. Stop talking about how old he is. And Kamala Harris is going to be your vice president. So stop fretting, stop wringing your hands and get behind your ticket because on the other side, your alternative is Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. What's most interesting about this little moment of the ladies who chat was when a hardcore Democrat was asked to say, what has Kamala Harris actually done? She has no idea, and then pivots to blaming Mike Pence. I think it has a lot to do with this. She's a black woman. Black women get everything done. We've saved this country's democracy for She's obviously amazing, but what specifically? But, well... Like, no, I mean, where should I, where, where shall I start? I mean, she was in the Senate, of but course. But no, I mean, as Attorney vice General, president, of course, vice she's president, highly, she's, she, the Inflation Reduction Act, I mean, the, she's was the face Pence of do? Roe v. Wade. I mean, <laughs> no, the list goes on and on. I'd like to ask you, what, what did Pence do? What did Pence do? put his lips firmly on the butt of Donald Trump. You see, lefties are so smug that they think that they'll win every argument, they don't even have to learn the argument. They just point at the person who disagree and say, racist! (laughs) It it reminds me of the Pee Wee Herman movie when you see them get into it with each other. You know, where Pee Wee and his friend, they started passing insults back and forth and it escalated and escalated, calling each other's names. And finally, 
I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but when am I? <laughs> that's that's the 20, <laughs> 2023 version of the Pee Wee Herman movie, what you just heard. Kamala Harris, my friends, brings nothing of substance to the table. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I got to be honest with you, it's even worse than that. I think her being on the Biden ticket, I think it hurts him. I think he would get more consideration from some moderate Democrats if he would just be substantive and bring somebody substantive to the ticket to run with him and very nicely in some kind of way give Kamala a big job if he's reelected, but not the VP job. So what's happening on the other side? More Republicans are challenging Trump. Yeah, they're already, as I said, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy is the guy's name that I couldn't pronounce earlier. And they're trying to link themselves to America first, and they're courting Trump's Make America Great Again movement. Those Republican hopefuls, they've got a big, big task in front of them. I think everybody knows that. They've got to distinguish themselves from Trump And at the same time, they've got to go after many of Trump's fans, all while mounting campaigns that can compete in the general election. So how are they trying to set themselves apart today, year and a half out, from Donald Trump? And how can they do that without alienating his fiercely loyal base? So it's early yet, but some patterns are already beginning to show. And you're going to listen to me And then you're going to watch this as we get closer to the 2024 campaign cycle. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, he hasn't yet committed to a primary bid, but he's widely seen as Trump's most formidable 2024 competitor. He has so far avoided responding to digs directed at him by the former president, although his online supporters, some of them anonymous, have gone to bat for him. Paul Ingracia, a Trump administration veteran, Cornell Law School graduate and lawyer, he said that DeSantis has relied on digital acolytes to fight for him because he hasn't yet entered the race. He wants to have these other guys do his dirty work for him while he remains above the fray. Ingracia, himself a prominent online Trump supporter, he stated that in an interview from a couple of days ago. People in the Trump orbit several months ago decided their best strategy would be to charge hard at former Trump supporters who have publicly aligned with DeSantis in an effort to intimidate us into silence. That's from David Riaboa, a political consultant, well-known DeSantis advocate. This is crucial to their effort because they're terrified of more people peeling off and abandoning Trump for a far more sane option, one who's far more likely to succeed on every issue of every policy. Both men seem to agree that DeSantis is being pitched as a more competent version of Trump. In addition, DeSantis's sometimes critical stance on the COVID-19 response could distinguish him from the former president. Florida's Surgeon General has drawn attention to adverse events linked to COVID vaccines that were rolled out as a result of Trump's Operation Warp Speed. That 
brought with it a critical reaction from U.S. health authorities. And Gracia points out a big number of the population has taken at least one COVID vaccine dose. He thinks DeSantis' messaging on that issue may not play well with the public at large, even if it resonates with Republican primary voters. DeSantis, he added, was just as much of a rule follower during the early months of COVID as anyone. As more time goes on, the vaccine will be an increasing political liability, as will Trump's outsourcing of COVID to the quote-unquote expert class. Picking a fight on COVID policy with DeSantis of all people is inadvisable. So what about the other guy, Ramaswamy? He's a venture capitalist. He has explicitly pitched his campaign as the next development in Trump-inspired politics. He calls his platform America First 2.0. His priorities are ending affirmative action, splitting from China, rejecting the push for central bank digital currencies. Ramaswamy said, I respect a lot of what President Trump did. He acknowledged problems in this country on both sides of the aisle that no one else had acknowledged before. The question is where we go from him. Rhea Boyce said he doesn't have any stance on Ramaswamy. I understand that people do this for name recognition or to fleece some money off of gullible donors, but just about any other use of their money, focus, and time would be better spent in policy activism or building institutions to nurture and support a new cadre of policy professionals. And Gracia believes Ramaswamy would fall short against Trump, even if his message reaches the more educated faction of the GOP. I think he's in over his head. And then there's Mike Pompeo. He's another guy. I like Pompeo a lot. He did a good job as Secretary of State, and he did a great job holding the CIA together before that position. He is also setting himself apart from Donald Trump. He said he's considering a run. He's been saying it for a while. He can make a strong case for himself as a longtime critic of the Communist Party. Democrats and Republicans are starting to unite against the CCP, vindicating concerns of their earlier China watchers. But in a March 3rd speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference, the CPAC, Pompeo said America's greatest threats are here, not abroad. He made what seemed like any Trump comments, saying conservatives should not look for larger-than-life personalities. And I guess he would say that because he is not a larger-than-life personality. Pompeo said, over the last few years, I've heard some who have claimed to be conservative excuse hypocrisy by saying something like, well... We're electing a president, not a Sunday school teacher. That's true. But having taught Sunday school, (laughs) maybe we could get both in the same person, right? In a March 10th interview in the Washington Examiner, Pompeo said he and his wife are still praying about whether he should run. There's still plenty of time, he said. So then there's South Carolina's former governor, Nikki Haley. I like her too. And I like all three of those, DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Pompeo, and now Nikki Haley. 
She's made her relative youth and other demographic particulars cornerstones of her campaign. We won't win the fight for the 21st century if we just keep trusting politicians from the 20th century, she said. She's 51. The liberal media's heads are exploding about my run for president, she said. And this is at CPAC, where she spoke as well. I'm a woman, I'm a minority, and I'm the daughter of immigrants. So there's something else that's dividing the field up pretty dramatically. Foreign policy. Foreign policy has also differentiated Trump from many of his past rivals. After decades of Republican hawkishness since World War II, Trump's message of relative restraint and attention to the national interest found a friendly audience on the right. A bunch of Trump's 2024 competitors sound like Trump on war and peace. Others, though, have stuck with more traditional Republican stances. A March 13 segment on Fox News, Tucker Carlson tonight vividly illustrated that. And we played some of that for you here at TNN Live. Carlson sent 2024 Republican hopefuls several questions about Ukraine. Trump said the U.S. should not back regime change in Russia, telling Tucker that we should support regime change in the United States. Very clever. DeSantis said that becoming further entangled in the conflict isn't in our best interest. He also called it a territorial dispute, which drew the ire of many of never-Trump conservatives or ex-conservatives who see that language as too friendly to Russia, given that it started the whole thing by invading Ukraine. Astonishing. Dangerous. That's what the New York Times wrote about it. DeSantis betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of a crucial issue. That's from the National Review. Journalist Michael Tracy, he argued that DeSantis's language has no necessary connection to any concrete policy position. He said that the Florida governor's positions resembled President Joe Biden's. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't want anything in my life resembling Joe Biden. Ramasamy. Ramaswamy, that's hard to say. He opposes greater U.S. backing in the war. He said European countries should pick up the tab as Russia's more their their problem than ours. It's in their backyard. It's their borders, he said. We can't be the nanny of Europe forever. And then South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, they also rejected the status quo on Ukraine. Pence Now, we haven't talked about Mike Pence, former vice president under Donald. He sang a different tune. There's no room for Putin apologists in the Republican Party, he said. He told that to Tucker. Responses from Senator Tim Scott, Republican from South Carolina, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie were also a bit hawkish. According to Tucker, former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton, why in the heck would he even be considered in this conversation? He said he was busy. (laughs) He couldn't answer. Pompeo and others didn't respond. Bolton's possible candidacy is based in large part on his problems with his former boss, Donald Trump. If I did decide to run, it would not be as a one-issue candidate, he said. It would be to win. In a March 14th statement responding to Tucker's questions, Nikki Haley said that opposing Russia 
is in the United States' best interest. Now, we're starting to tell you where these people stand because I know we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. But we're very close, much closer than I'm comfortable to even admitting to another presidential election, another presidential campaign season, a bunch of screaming and hollering and making allegations and defending allegations, and the war is on, and it's just around the corner. Well, well, well. Hey, guys, thanks for joining us here today. We covered a lot of ground. We've got two more days this week, and we're going to cover a lot more. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here at TNN Live. There used to be a gray and tower alone on the sea. You became the light on the dark side of me. Love remains a drug that's high enough to feel. But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become large and the light that you shine can't be seen.
eyes become a large and the light that you shine can't be seen. the glue on the 